This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The opening dialogue from today's book starts like this. Was there a chance for a friendship between the dragons and frogs? None whatsoever. Dragons kept chasing frogs, and frogs kept hiding in deep pond. Great forest was a mess. Whoa, what a story. The title, Can Dragons and Frogs Be Friends? And our author is Trudy Carter. Trudy, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. There are many, I would refer to them as children's books or younger readers' books, that refer to frogs and even dragons. Where did this inspiration come from? It literally popped into my head. It was a college project, and I had to do some illustrations, and I decided a story might look nice with it. So the biggest thing I could think of was the dragon, and the littlest thing I could think of was a frog. Uh, One of the reviewers that has looked at your book and read it uh, has said this, Rounded characters communicating through letters convey strong messages on courage, on peace, and on gratitude. These are important values that you are trying to convey. Uh, Who do you think is going to enjoy reading this book, besides you and me? (laughs) I think children need books like this. It gives them a chance to say, somebody's always making a comment on their life. You "You should do this, you should do that. And that's exactly what's happening in this story. We have a forest squirrel and a beach bird, and their commentary and their advice to the dragons and frogs is what makes the whole story amusing. And I think very real for children. And they communicate by way of letters. Is that correct? Yes, it does. There's ten chapters, and each chapter has two letters. On one side is the squirrel writing to the bird and saying, here's what's happening in Great Forest with the dragons and frogs. And on the other side, Beach Bird writes back and gives all kinds of advice, asks questions, and in general says they can never be friends. There's a bad line in here or a bad turn Throckmorton, the dragon, was in trouble. Why was Throckmorton in trouble? Well, his wife had the dragon egg. Uh-oh. People, the animals in the forest came to visit it, and her flames got in the way. They got burnt. So she got very upset and said, I'm leaving. You stay and watch the egg. Well, oh he got hungry. So he takes the egg out, puts it on top of the mountain, and the wind comes, and down goes the egg, Ooh. right into the deep pond to the very bottom And Deep Pond is the central location of, uh, I guess, uh, all of the activities or the social activities between the animals in the forest. It's basically where the frogs live and basically hide. Hmm. The dragon is constantly chasing them, so they live at the bottom of Deep Pond as much as possible. So for the egg to land right where they're living was a a surprise to the dragon (laughs) and a scary thing for the frogs. No wonder Throckmorton got in trouble. Uh, That would really do it in my household if I messed up and lost something of importance, especially a child that may be on the way. Um, I don't think I would lose one since I am not a dragon, but why dragons and frogs? The dragon and frog, it's, it's a conflict. You don't expect a dragon to even be able to eat a frog 
and be full. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The dragon is large. He's fire-breathing. He's frightening. And the frogs are kind of cute. Children will go and sit and watch frogs hop around. But the contrast is what really made the story work for me, that you had to somehow get these two diametrically different animals to be friends. You have written 58 pages, and in reviewing that and looking through the book that you have created, the illustrations are spectacular. The writing is not large print. It's actually standard print. So there is a, a, a good story that goes with this book. It's not just a picture book, isn't it? No, it's not. If the illustrations were by a gentleman named Lowell from a company that I worked with, and they were just awesome. But the, the, um, the writing and the font size, in order to put a picture of the bird at the top when he's the one writing and put the squirrel at the top when he's the one writing, meant the font had to get a little smaller. So it pushed the book into a slightly upper grade, I would say closer to a third grade. It can be handled by the younger ones, but a third grader will be exceedingly comfortable. Are there specific messages that you tried to convey in this story? I think the idea that here's two letter writers looking at an adventure, trying to impact it with their advice and their comments and their hope, and it just... It's a message of, of everyone's going to pay attention to what you do, and they're there to help you if you can. In this case, they're just there. The other message is Melville the Frog. He becomes a hero. He's willing to say to his friends, I don't care, run away. Somebody needs to help. And he stays behind, and he helps. And there's, there's an ancient rhyme that says dragons eat frogs whenever they can. And still, Melville helps. Here's a dragon looking for frogs. And still, Melville helps. The courage is awesome. A fabulous message. Bullying is a big deal in schools today. Is that addressed at all in your book? I think you can't miss it. <laughs> uh, when you have something, an animal that big, the dragon, and he constantly chases the frogs and they have to hide. I think anyone who's ever dealt with a bully knows exactly how that feels. What is wonderfully amazing is when the frog turns to compassion and uses compassion to deal with the situation and his problem-solving abilities. And it was as though the dragon took a look at him a second time and didn't see him as food, saw him as a friend. And that changed everything. That's a great message right there. Just That's worth the price of admission to see the book. Absolutely, by itself. Is there anything about persistence that's in your book also? I would say so. Um, when the Throckmorton dragon's egg is at the bottom of the pond, he does try to rescue it. He makes an effort, but his flames get in the way, and he can't rescue it. When Melville the frog comes up with an idea to help, the first idea doesn't work. The second idea does work. The two animals riding, squirrel and beach bird, are noticing this, that he won't give up. Why won't he give up? He needs to just drop the whole thing and leave. So they even recognize that persistence is going on in the story. Trudy, as an educator, communication is a very important subject. How do you approach communication in writing or in storytelling? Are there specific clues that you look for when you're communicating and talking and visiting with children? Oh, yes. From the teacher point of view? Yes, um, and from the reading part. Children's faces when you're teaching can immediately give you a clue that something's 
making sense or not making sense. Um, sometimes it's the things they don't completely say when they give an answer to a question and you start to probe a little bit. You might find that they've communicated a basic answer, but they really don't grasp what's behind that answer. So communication between children and between adults and children is needs work. It needs work. It's not something where you can say, hi, how are you, and get an answer and drop it. You really do have to ask more questions. Because of the electronic age we live in, children sometimes feel and are isolated into their own world. Are there benefits of reading aloud to children? Do you advise parents to get involved in the process? Absolutely. I still have the sweetest memories of snuggling up with my children and reading to them, so I think that's the first benefit. You get close, and you have a dedicated time just for them. Nothing else is in the way. And then when you're reading aloud, they hear how the words are pronounced. They hear how a sentence flows, where it stops. They hear how the ending sounds when it's a question. And they're able to live it with you. You can even stop. You can't stop a a movie too easily. You can. But you can stop a book and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about Melville doing this? Do you think the bird is right that he should just leave the area and not help? Then when the child reads it alone, those thoughts are with them. All those ideas of what is the story about, how are the characters interacting, you've given that to them, and that enriches the story forever. And Melville, does he talk a lot in this book, or is he on the quiet side? He's actually on the quiet side. When I started working on the prequel as to how all these animals came to be together, I realized Melville hadn't said a lot. He does things, but he doesn't speak a lot. He offers to help, and he comes up with ideas, but it's the squirrel who says he does it. He's not talking. So you get the idea of a thinker that Melville's a thinker. In the cattails, he's watching the dragon try to rescue the egg. And then he offers to help. And then you see things being done. But you don't hear him talking a lot. You, and I had a student like that once. He was a real thinker. And when you got into it, you found out what he was thinking. That, to me, is Melville. Trudy, this is your first novel, Can Dragons and Frogs Be Friends? For those who are listening who want to be authors and want to write their novel, their Pulitzer Prize-winning story, how did you approach the creative process? Did you work from an outline? Did it work strictly from inspiration? What was the process of authoring this first novel? I wrote several versions. <laughs> I would write it one way where it started with Melville was the first character being introduced, and then I wrote it another way with another animal in the story. And then I wrote it again until I had five different versions. Somewhere along the line, the letter idea popped in. And when I was visiting a cousin who was working on a textbook, she encouraged me to start looking at what I'd written. And as I did, I realized the letter writing was the most interesting because they can make side comments and, and they can oversee what's going on. It was a totally different approach. Beautiful. This book is a children's book, primarily. What makes it different from others that are already in the marketplace and on the bookshelves? One, it's a book within a book. A story within a story. The dragon adventure is going on, and you're meeting the dragon, you're meeting the frogs, the egg shows up, how it impacts and becomes a catalyst for complete change that's going on. Then you have the story being told by letters. And now you have comments and commentary, and you have advice, and you find out about the the ancient rhyme, the ancient forest rhyme that says, 
dragons and frogs can never be friends, never be friends. Dragons eat frogs whenever they can. And you get a lot more in it than if it was just the adventure. So you have those two things going, along with the side comments as to the weather or the beach, with the the eggs on the beach. You've got all these little side comments in there. And I just loved bringing in anything I could think of in a different way. Trudy, because you are an educator, was there an underlying message or storyline that you want readers to take away from this book? Yes, the idea that it's okay to be different. Melville was on his own. He deserted all his friends, and he was willing to help another. And he became the game changer. And that willing to be different allowed him to cause reconciliation between the dragons and the frogs. That's an important message. Was there anything challenging about putting this, your first book, together? Making it stop. (laughs) I had things before, as I said, I had to drop out. And I had things after that. I could see it as a movie in my head. And so I would see where it would start and where it would go. But when you start to write all of that, there was too much to write. So I just started with just before the dragon egg appears and then how that impacts everybody. But I also ended it before the dragon egg hatches. And I left that for the next book. This is a charming book titled, Can Dragons and Frogs Be Friends? Our author, Trudy Carter. Trudy, where do we get copies of your book? You go to authorhouse.com, your favorite bookstores, and you ask for it. You'll find it in softcover and also as an e-book for downloading. And in 2014, we're putting together an audio recording of the book, so you'll have that as an option, too. Do you also have any website or web presence that people can visit? Yes. I started recording how the first book started, even a picture of it, and it's on booksbytrudy.me, M-E. And then my teaching background and techniques and teaching for homeschool parents and teachers and anyone who works with children is lovin teaching.me, Judy, I hope we can visit together again about your next project. I'm sure there'll be other books in this series. Yes, there will. <laughs> They're on their way even now as we speak. Excellent. <laughs> this one titled, Can Dragons and Frogs Be Friends? Author, Trudy Carter. Trudy, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much, Jay. It's been a pleasure to share ideas with you. Honored visiting with you for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. 
helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. Our author today, Marcia Grant, has written a book titled Woman to Woman, From My Heart to Yours. This is a personal and passionate writing from our author, Marcia. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Tell me the story behind this. What inspired you to write this, I would say, prolific book, 740 pages? Um, life happened. I went through a series of events, life events, separation, divorce, childlessness, singleness, and I just poured my emotions and my feelings on and it came out to be a book. And your book would be called a devotional book. Is that the best way to describe it? Yes, because it's a daily, every day there's something insightful, there's something spiritual, there's something uplifting. And you've written this specifically targeting uh, women as your readers and as your uh, recipients of your advice. Is there an age group or an age range that you think might be most attracted to your book? I think it um, may go for a mature, not necessarily a mature audience, but anywhere between late teens to late ni- 90s. It depends. D- depends. And and you, you have in here titles such as Broken But Healed. These are, are devotional, daily devotional things. You talk about the sexy society, which is one that we're plagued with as males and females. Tell me what you discovered in that particular uh, rendering or that particular daily devotion. Just how we're so overt with sex and sexuality and sexiness, and sometimes it it covers the greater good within us as human beings. The very next devotional is titled Learning to Love, and you take your reference from Proverbs 27 and 9, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's or woman's friend by hearty counsel. And then you go on from there. What of the lessons that you share do you think is the most poignant or important? God's love for man. It's unfailing, it's never-ending, and it can save anyone. Your book, in addition to having scriptural references, has personal accounts, personal devotions, personal commentary on life issues, and yet it's 740 pages. How long did it take to put your book into completion? It took me about eight months, eight months to just write and cry and write and pray and keep writing. So in this process, I'm assuming there was some self-discovery, and that's one of the motivations behind putting this devotion together. That's correct. How definitely was. Do you personally, and many of our authors, keep diaries or keep journals of their daily activities? Did you draw from any of that in writing your articles for the uh, devotional? Yes. Um, I don't journal every day, but I do journal significant events, and I do store a lot in my memory, and I pull from that, and I talk with my girlfriends and I recall what they said, what we did, how we felt, and I just poured it all in to this book. In addition to the devotionals, you have opportunities for the reader to journal their thoughts and their feelings about the content of what they've just read. Yes, because it's always so 
it's it's so uplifting when you can give your feelings wings. And I think writing gives your feelings wings. It makes your feelings become authentic and real, and you have to just address how you feel about whatever issues you're going through and find a way through it. This is a devotional for every day of the year, 365 yes, days. And uh, that's, a, that's a dramatic undertaking. One of your articles deals with a uh, well-known story by people who are churchgoers titled Balaam's Donkey. Tell our listeners about Balaam's Donkey and how that relates. When I read that Bible passage, I just thought how much I was like the servant of God and how God has had to use so many Balaam's donkey to block me from doing what I want to do as opposed to what he wants us to do. And sometimes we try to go through so many roadblocks while God is saying, not yet, not now, wait on me. And that's the story. That's the essence of Balaam's donkey how we need to be obedient to the voice and the will of God. Yeah, because Balaam was a prophet of God who just decided he didn't like the message he was supposed to take. I think that's the story, isn't it? Yes. And then what happened? Well, God allowed the donkey to block him. And even when he whipped the donkey, the donkey ended up speaking to Balaam. How, how profound that is, that the animal knew what God was saying more than the man knew what God was saying. That what God said was was what he needed to do, regardless of how he felt. And, that, and God spared Balaam through his donkey that day. Uh, an, an interesting and intriguing tale. Many would say it's sort of fanciful the way that was written in Scripture, but the message is, still comes through very strongly that when God speaks, obey and, and pay attention and do as he asks. Yes, or he'll it use, really does. Or he may use some other donkey. I might put it that way. I don't know if that's a good way to put it or not, but he, he can use a donkey even to, to perfect his will. I still think he used donkeys today in <laughs> so many different ways. I believe you're right, and we won't expand on that commentary, but uh, this is an interesting fact that you've been able to assemble such a, a, a massive undertaking in a short period of time. How would you introduce this book to someone who doesn't know its contents? I would say, woman, sister, do you want to spend some quiet time with God? Maybe five minutes every day? Here's a book. And this will just take you to different realms, just expose you to so much that God has to offer us. There are a lot of contemporary problems in our world, including the church and in families. What themes do you believe your book addresses and are relevant for the reader to uh, to understand just how we need to go back to basics we have become so um everything is so complicated everything is so complex but when we go back to basics love for god love for man that's it if we love god we will learn how to love each other and if we love each other we can have a better family a better country, a better society, a better world. You have a charming accent, if I might comment. Where were you originally born, and when did you come to the United States? What is your history there? I am Jamaican by birth and nationality. I was born in 
well, I shouldn't give my year, but I came to the States in 2009. So I've been here maybe a little over four, going five years. And you have a background as a, an educator. Yes, I've been teaching for over 17 years. Marvelous. Is there a particular devotional that you think is the icing on the cake in this book? You have addressed this as woman to woman. And is there one that particularly to you stands out and, and really has been the foundation upon which this book is built? I think the one that still gets me teary every time I read it is my love garden. And that's January 8th. It's the essence of my life. It's the hallmark, what I want to live up to, just being in a daily intimate relationship with God, just allowing Him to lead, and just following wherever He leads me. And do you have that uh, devotional in front of you, and you could share just a little bit of it? Or shall I look it up? It says, My Love Garden. I come to the garden alone, while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And that's my one of my favorite hymns. And it goes on to tell you about the garden and how a garden is a beautiful place. But then there's a parallel. There's another garden. And it speaks about Gethsemane, how Gethsemane, as it was for Jesus, can be a very difficult place where there's pain and there's problems, but also it gets in me there's purpose. And that's my love garden, where I learn that it's not about my physical man, but it's also about my spiritual man. My love garden is my sincere place where I'm honest and revealed in my communications with my Savior, and He communes with me. Even though Gethsemane is a troubled place, it is also a lovely place. And David in Psalms, I believe it was David in the 24th Psalms, celebrates the garden by saying, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell therein. Beautiful passage and one that anyone can reflect on, whether they are a person of faith or not. That is certainly a, an inspiring thought that the earth is the Lord's and all that dwell in it. Is there anything about this book that makes it different from others in the marketplace? What is so unique about this, this writing? I cannot judge for anybody, but I know this is a sincere writing. It is real. It is authentic. I'm bare. I stand bare. I, I lay my soul and all that I know to be true in this, right, in this book. It's poetry. It's Bible stories. It's personal experiences. I'm honest about my struggles. I'm honest about my pain. I'm honest about my failings and my weaknesses. And I'm also very honest about what God can do. Uh, Marcia, there must have been some challenges in writing a book of this magnitude. What were those, and how did you overcome them? I think the greatest challenge was the fear of not being accepted, that that fear that who wants to read this book? Who cares what you have to say? You're not world renowned. Who wants to know Marcia? Who thinks that Marcia can really compile such great work? 
it, it quest, it's very questioning of your self-worth, of your essence. But through prayer and counseling from my friends, there are some dear friends who can say, Marcia, this is worth it. It's worth putting into paper. It's worth publishing. It's worth going forward. Every time I told friends that I would stop writing the book, I would destroy the pages that I've already written, they kept saying, no, God has a plan. Beautifully put. And the title of the book, again, is Woman to Woman, From My Heart to Yours, and our author, Marcia Grant. Marcia, where do we get copies of your book? You can get copies on Amazon.com, AuthorHouse.com, BookFamilion.com, and if you have e-readers, you can get your downloadable version. It's available online, and it will be available in bookstores soon. Marcia, any parting thoughts? I just want to say to your listeners, thank you for allowing a girl from Jamaica to have her dreams come true. May God bless each and every one of you. Thank you for joining us from Washington, D.C. today. Thank you for having me. For Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Half questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Examining the Great Commission, A Call to Study. And the author is Christopher Beidou Asian. And Christopher joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Christopher. Hi, Steve. Great to have you with us. Uh, this book, Examining the Great Commission, as you say, in this study, we examine Jesus' last words to his disciples in which he outlined the duties involved in making disciples and retaining those disciples. And so you focus on some scriptures, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and then Mark 16, 15 through 18, and Luke 24, 44 through 49. This is uh, where the Great Commission, as you call it, comes from. We'll get into those details in a minute about what this Great Commission is and, and some of your very, very strong beliefs and views. But first of all, tell us about your background and uh, you know how this book came about, Christopher. Okay, we'll be glad to. Um, yeah, uh, I'm professionally, I'm a computer science uh, engineer or a software engineer, uh, if you like. And so I mostly just stare at my computers um, <laughs> at, at work every day. So 
um, don't have very much people interaction on day-to-day basis except for the few customers I work for work with. Um, I have a mathematics and uh, computer science background, and so my uh, educational background has mostly been in the sciences. And uh, uh, but I have, at the same period of time that I've been studying science, I have been a Christian for that long, and so I've been kind of. Um, living those two lives in parallel and um, it's been sometimes a struggle uh, trying to harmonize some thoughts uh, that science uh, raises and then trying to uh, live a faithful life because um, I believe that God, God's word um, is not in contradiction to science or neither is science in contradiction to God's word. So, it, those uh, two opinions uh, sometimes can be a little bit uh, difficult in trying to find a resolution to live a harmonized life. So um, that, that's a brief background. And as far as uh, how I came about the book, um, in the first few pages of the book, I cannot uh, tell the story, but um, I'll tell it again here. I was doing a contract work for a, co- a company in Seattle, and um, the contract came to an end uh, unexpectedly. And so I decided, well, um, I have about a month or so before I can um, do something else. So what do I do with the time that I have? And um, I decided that, well, I know that there is a lot of questions on baptism, and so and I've received him a lot of instructions about it, so why not just sit down and um, try to find answers to some of those questions that I still have lingering in my mind, and so um, that just set me off in that uh, thinking that, okay, at the end of the day, I would have resolved some questions on baptism. I, don't, I didn't know that it would end up being a book, but um um, as I was doing the studies, I was also taking some uh, advanced Greek and Hebrew classes uh, with some people online, and um, and so um, that became part of my lesson and uh, for the classes, and uh, it ended up uh, managing very well, and the result was examining the Great Commission I called to study. So first of all, Christopher, what is what is a commission? Please define that for us. Um, so in in the book, I try to uh, explain that as well. What a commission is, um, in in marketing sense or in business sense, a commission can be um, um, performing a task and then getting a reward. Uh, uh, or an incentive attached to um, a specific task. It could also be um, a specified or an outlined set of tasks uh, that as uh, are designated to a group of people to fulfill. And in either of these two uh, understanding of the term commission, um, we get it, the, we we see that the outline in Matthew 
28, uh, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, uh, kind of fits those two models. Uh, there is a reward if the apostles did what Jesus had told them to do. And moreover, there's specific tasks that he outlined for these men uh, to undertake. And so, um, and Jesus pretty well outlines them for his uh, disciples at the time. Go into all the world, make disciples, um, and uh, and that's pretty much what it was. It was very spe- the task was very specific, and it was for them to go make those disciples and teach them everything uh, uh, Christ has told them to teach them or taught them. So, um, so in, in my opinion, a commission becomes um, um, a set, those set of tasks in, in that sense. And then there's also a very important part of this commission is the authority to do it. Now, you talk about, yeah, you talk about that in verse 18 of Matthew 28, verse 18. Please, please expound upon that. Yeah. I mean, as, uh, for example, I work for, um, a, a company and I can't just get up and say, okay, I'm going to perform a certain thing and make the business happy. Um, I have to be authorized to do certain things. Um, if I do things without authorization, I might end up getting in trouble. And so it becomes very significant to realize that uh, we don't, as far as our relationship with God goes, we don't just get up and do things. We do things because God has told us to do them. And in the same, in the other direction, we don't do things because God has not told us to do. And, I mean, you can go back and forth um, about that, but it is very important to realize that God is a purposeful God, and He has a purpose and a reason for everything that He has told us to do. For example, uh, in the book, as we uh, you delve into it, you I, I do make the case that, you know, if we're coming to God as sinners, we, we are coming to God who is holy as people with filth, and those filth has to be washed. And so he says, baptism is the medium to do that. And so it has to be, and so that, that is where the authority comes in. You know, so it, it's not just, um, um, it's not just something we just choose to do. It's something we do because God, it's God's will and it's God authorized. He is very direct in verse 19. Uh, Christ is very direct, isn't he? He, teach, he says to teach all nations and then to baptize them. So there, why, why do you think churches discount the baptism part of this so much because there are some churches that don't do it at all some churches say well if you want to be baptized you can be but that's up to you and then there are certain churches of course that baptize everybody yeah and and there are several reasons for that and that it could be a lack of understanding of what we've been called to which i try to address with this book um and sometimes it could be um you 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 know uh, it could be a, a situation such as when Jesus um, was asked the question by the Sadducees who thought that 
they had a very complicated question. And so they came up to Jesus and said, seven brothers married the same woman during the resurrection or in the next life. Who is going to, uh, whose wife is she going to be? And Jesus told them, you do not understand the power of God, nor do you understand the scriptures. Um, and th- I think that's where most of the time we seem to be, we create these complex situation, uh, um, situations. I had a gentleman in my living room, um, I, it, it was, this is funny, as the book was being written and uh, we were talking about, he was doing door knocking and so I let him in and uh, we started talking about uh, the gospel and uh, the need for baptism. And his uh, position was that baptism is not necessary because uh, what if somebody is in, you preach it to, you preach the gospel to somebody on the desert and uh, there is no water to baptize them. So what, what happened? Which is kind of funny because uh, the Ethiopian Enoch was found on the, in the de- traveling in the desert, and God made available water for him to be baptized. <laughs> um, uh, and it goes to show you the power of God. Right. Yes, with God. And we just need to hold on to that as if our life depends on it. And indeed, our life do depend on it. Um, and just go with it because God says this is what needs to be done, and we just need to do it uh, without raising complex situations and making uh, thinking that in the process we will be wise in doing something different because we won't be. We, w- we will never be wiser than God. Well, all of your teaching really reminds me, Christopher, of brings to mind a scripture that just seems to fit so perfectly. Hebrews 13, you go to 8 and 9. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. So if Jesus is the same and he told them to go baptize everyone throughout the world, teach and baptize, why wouldn't we be doing that today? That's a a great point because um, in really brings across the point whether we are being faithful to the commission or we are uh, overdoing the commission or we are underdoing the commission. And I I think that not honoring um, that aspect of baptism because we create all these complex situations um, not only under uh, perform the con- commission, but in many ways um, we, we we seem to not live according to the authority that we have been yeah. uh, charged with, and and so it, it, it is very important for us to have that understanding and uh, to 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 and I hope that this book, in a very small way, is able to um, make that argument and make that um, raise that issue and bring some resolution to some of the misunderstanding or a lack of understanding that there might be um, on this subject. And certainly Jesus, perfect person that he was, God himself coming down to the earth to be among us, uh, he didn't need to be baptized, and yet he went and was baptized just to set the example, I believe. 
That, that's right. And and um, in the in his conversation with John before his baptism was done, uh, John said, "Hey, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me?" So definitely, John recognized this Jesus's uh, position and recognizes that mm-hmm. Jesus is not uh, the the, <laughs> the one of those people he was baptizing for repenting of their sins or to make right their condition with God, but rather that, as Jesus said, to fulfill all righteousness. And this is very important in many ways, one of them being the fact that uh, uh, John wanted the Word became flesh and um, the flesh came to dwell among us. And... Jesus was that word. And Jesus' own teaching, he said, not even a single iota of what has been prophesied or taught in the old uh, prophecies and teachings will go unfulfilled. And so it becomes very important from those uh, two points of views to realize that uh, what Jesus was saying about fulfilling our righteousness was not insignificant. It was all part of God's plan Mm -hmm. to not just set an example, but it means a lot to God to fulfill all righteousness. And so it it goes back to that, um, why we are not doing baptism, because we are creating situations that are impossible. We are not fulfilling God's righteousness by not doing the things that God has told us to do. Christopher, you explain it so well. Uh, you take, uh, obviously, uh, a, a controversial kind of, of practice in the Christian church today and explain it right down to the simple uh, teachings of the Lord. And uh, we salute you for uh, this book, Examining the Great Commission, A Call to Study. Christopher, tell us how to get your book. I'm uh, currently, uh, well, thank you very much, Steve, uh, for uh, that uh, commendation. Uh, it means a lot. Sometimes you, you put all this effort in and you don't think that it's going anywhere, but then uh, somebody like you picks it up and gives uh, a commendation like that, and uh, it, it makes all the effort worthwhile. So thank you very much. Um, the publisher uh, for the book is uh, Arthur House, and uh, they have uh, the books on the uh, um, on the uh, website you can get it in soft cover or hard cover or even in electronic format you can download it also Amazon uh, carries it um, on the uh, uh, line of books and you can get it you can get a Kindle copy I think that's cheaper um, and Barnes and Noble has it available as well for the Anouk and uh, either hard or hard cover or soft cover uh, available. So right now, mostly online, there are a few other bookstores that um, carry it, and so and I'm sure any bookstore can order it for right. the publisher. <clears throat> exactly, anyone can order it for for the okay. interested. Reader, Well, thank you so much, Christopher, for being with us on Author Talk. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the, uh, uh, the opportunity.